Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you with my customary intro to what is coming up later. For our inbox, we have a woman who has a very strained relationship with her brother, and now she is not sure how to handle it moving forward, feeling like she's addressed it, but it didn't go well. So one of our counselors is going to offer some hope for that situation. And then for our culture segment, Debbie Laser joins to share about recovering from trauma and pain, uh, specifically around the betrayal of her husband and his sexual addiction, and then walking through his death from cancer as well. And so um, you're going to want to stay tuned for that. And here we are for our roundtable, and we have got a group of our, you know, one counselor for our inbox is not enough. Now we had to bring a group of them in. <laughs> um, no, which is great because we are going to talk about, hello, it's a new year, um, really signs that you might need some counseling in a new year. And I think I, I say that, and a lot of you are like cringing, like, don't, I don't need to go to counseling, whatever, but... I think we're going to find that counseling is a great accessible way to get some eyes on what's going on in your life and to take stock in a number of different areas. And so I want to welcome Linda and Jeremy and Glenn. Hey, y'all. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Woo-woo. Good to have you. Okay. So we have to start by, I mean, not that you guys have to be set up like with credibility, but talk to us a little bit about your unique areas of expertise and kind of like, I, I know that many of you many of you, there's like three of you. I know that you guys have been um, counseling for collectively many years is what I was trying to say. And so a lot of experience at the table, but what are you seeing kind of now more in, in counseling? What does that look like for you? What, you know, is there less of a stigma around counseling as far as how that goes down? What's the story? Yeah, I think counseling, it does have less of a stigma as you talk to people about it and you talk about the fact that it's, you know, like I always give an example, like I love sports and you would not ha think of having a professional team without a coach. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what a counselor is for somebody. It's much deeper than that, but mm -hmm. it's the same parallel. Mm -hmm. And when you talk to folks about that, they get that parallel and are more open to mm -hmm. saying, yeah, I could use a little help mm -hmm. and just moving forward. And this isn't working I, what I'm doing. And so I need some help to get to where I want to be. Yeah, that's great. I, uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, we, we kind of have the tongue-in-cheek phrase. People will say, boy, I, I, I need counseling or, you know, she needs counseling. And I, I do think that it, it really is healthy to, to reframe and think about that of it's an opportunity. And it doesn't have to be the wheels are coming off. Um, certainly there there's crisis counseling, and that's important. And mm -hmm. certainly don't resist uh, when a time of need is really, really urgent, acute, obvious. But really being proactive um, and not seeing counseling as, well, there's a problem or there is a, a stigma. There's something you better you better get a light on or you're going to really have a messed up life. It, it can be much more positive and proactive than that. And I, I, I even say the best counselors get counseling. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we try to maintain that with integrity in our own field when we need that, whether mm -hmm. it's a colleague consulting one another or our own, you know, confidential private counseling just to continue growing. Yeah. I would agree. There's a, a process that's taking place where the stigma is lessening, although I think it's still there in some to some degree, and but it's moving, so that's positive. My own 
personal work. I'm a licensed marriage family therapist, so I do a lot of marriage counseling, premarital. Uh, I don't do family counseling. Uh, I do um, some grief, anxiety, and depression work as well. Hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. We failed to mention our areas. Linda and I, I work a lot with men in sexual addiction work or sexual integrity work, and then couples that are affected by that, married couples affected premarital counseling is a joy. Um, and then here at Focus, uh, I lead our team of about 20, and we just hear pretty much a garden variety of everything um, from parenting needs all the way to marriage needs uh, on our phone lines here at Focus. Yeah. And before I became a personal counselor, I was a career counselor at a college for 15 or 20 years. So love to work with that population, love to work with, you know, uh, in, in that case, it was students transitioning to adulting, as mm-hmm. we say now, mm-hmm. but also grief, loss, yeah. anxiety, depression, um, singleness, yeah, those kind of things. Yeah, that's great. Well, it's interesting because I think of, you know, you mentioned kind of Clearly, sometimes for a crisis, someone will avail themselves of counseling. But I know just in thinking of my own experience, I've gone and had a few sessions of counseling after breakups, a couple breakups where I just had to process um, dealing with some family stuff and relationships and just some brokenness there was super helpful. Um, But what would you guys say for that person that's listening who? You know, again, where there's not like some major crisis, they're they're just saying, well, I don't know, how would I benefit from this? How does a person know what they don't know? So that it's at some point where they're like, oh, okay, if there's not like a major event or a, a trigger that makes them realize, oh, I need to go. But maybe they generally think they're healthy, but they're not really seeing some blind spots of areas where they could get some growth. Well, and that, that concept of blind spots, I think we all have our blind spots, so we don't see them. I would say that it's it's kind of twofold. One is you don't know how it can be helpful until you really try it mm-hmm. and, and seeing if it's beneficial for you. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that counseling is the only avenue of help. Mm-hmm. Um, Linda has had some experience in the whole uh, Celebrate Recovery mm-hmm. um, in, in working with that. And, and there are other avenues. There can be uh, just uh, the support network. Uh, Larry Crabb, a number of years ago before his death, wrote a book called Connecting. And talked about if if the church was really being the church, there'd be a lot less need for counseling. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Mm -hmm. Somebody who can be there to be supportive, to hear you, to validate your emotions, but also who can challenge maybe some blind spots that you're not seeing. Mm -hmm. Right. Mentoring. um, It can be another really close and related area to counseling to press into if if the more professional uh, fee-based route is not... Um, a fit, but sometimes even both, like what you learn from your mentoring can then lead to what you would like to work on in a different way in in a professional counseling setting. And I would say if you have themes that are just recurring for you, you know, trigger points, flashpoints, sense uh, self-confidence areas that you maybe want to fulfill your potential in more, usually there's a story or what we would call in counseling like a schema, a way of thinking about yourself, a pattern that plays a role in whether it's a confidence issue or a flashpoint with anger that reoccurs, or maybe a big one is often shame um, and and things that I avoid because of shame. So if you're kind of slowed up by certain patterns, and it's not a disaster, but you think maybe this – 
is a hurdle and maybe keeps me from fulfilling my potential in some area, area, that's where if you can be insightful about those recurring themes that you have and bring those into uh, mentoring or the counseling room, I think that can be a way to pinpoint areas of work. Yeah, that's a good example or a way of framing it, Jeremy. And I did want to throw it out in case um, y'all have any more ideas of that person that's sitting there now, you know, heading into the end of January. And they're like, yeah, I do want to go after personal growth this year. And I do. What are some of the things that they might be experiencing in life that may seem average or seem normal or just some maybe relational challenges that might come up that you would see as potential like, hey, that might be something to consider. What are some of the emotions that um, might be present or situations that might be present that you think would benefit from a second look at maybe getting some help? I think sometimes it's it's not just a one-time thing or something that is there for a day or two and then fades away. That's kind of normal. But I think it's sometimes that ongoing issue that keeps coming up, like feeling overwhelmed or fatigue, they can't sleep, it's hard to focus, um, some of that negativity and that you start to notice that it spills out into things like a job or relationships, like you mentioned, or school or their social interactions. It just spills out and it continues. Mm-hmm. It doesn't go away. It keeps coming back. And um, that's a, a good sign in a lot of ways. That It may be something that's been on the uh, New Year's resolution for five years, mm-hmm. and you're still at the same spot. You realize you, you want to make a change. Your head tells you, really, when you think of it, your, your prefrontal cortex says, I need to deal with this. Your limbic system, some of the old triggers in life make it a challenge to change. Yeah. It's funny you mention that because I think to myself, like for me, it's often – why am I just constantly in conflict with this person? Like, I think that if I just wait long enough or give it enough time, it'll just like magically resolve itself. And then I realize, oh, no, wait a minute. Why is this relationship or this pattern? Why is it such a struggle? You know, and then realizing at some point, and this has happened to me, I think I better go and talk to someone about this because I might be missing something even in myself and how I show up here. Yep. And and it could be if you if you know that there is either a relationship that really needs to change in some way for it to um, be healthier, or you're you're in a pattern and you need help drawing a boundary or maybe stepping away from a relationship or deciding which way to go because you know it can't stay the same. Mm-hmm. That's another sign that you know rather than burying your head in the sand to look into yourself to get some help with that objectivity of, hey, I know I don't want this relationship to stay the same, but Mm -hmm. months and months, maybe even years on end, it's been tolerated at a stressful level. Mm -hmm. Um, So do I I need some help making a decision about what I either change in me or how I draw a boundary or have a crucial, important conversation Mm -hmm. and prepare for that in counseling? Yeah. Sometimes it may be kind of an obvious pain in our life. Um, our natural inclination is away from pain. Mm-hmm. I remember a client years ago who came in and said, I hate coming to see you. I took it as a compliment because I knew what they were mm-hmm. saying was, if I didn't come in for counseling, I would just never deal with this. I'd keep mm-hmm. it buried. It'd be like the game whack-a-mole mm-hmm. is often how yeah. it, it shows itself where mm-hmm. we're knocking something down here, but it pops up somewhere else. So mm-hmm. finally, if a person's like, okay, I really I do need to lean into it. And mm-hmm. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those 
who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So if we mm-hmm. are willing to face some of those areas that we'd rather not, that's probably a good thing. And that grief is a big one. If you have, you're carrying things that you know are saddening to you, but you kind of mentally avoid it, or you avoid certain settings or certain maybe holidays and memories you have to really circumvent to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. There is so much sacredness and power in moving towards your grief mm-hmm. in a respectful, guided way and cleaning that. And then on the other side of good, you know, grief work, and you can carry grief for decades. It doesn't have yeah. to be someone who you're grieving a loss of just of the last few years. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that can be a profound thing to focus on in some of your work as well. Yeah, that's a good point because I know when I um, lost my mom, I remember going and it was almost like proactively because I thought like, you know, I my mom had dementia. I knew it was kind of like a slow going in that sense. But so I felt like I was in a pretty good place with it. And obviously having the Lord helps and stuff. But I signed up because it was available. I signed up for grief share at my church and did it almost proactively or preemptively in that sense. But I remember, not that I totally want to diss these people, but I remember a couple of people either kind of saying or insinuating like, oh, that's weird that you're going to that because it's air quotes only your mom, you know, like it's not a spouse, it's not a child and kind Mm, of dismissing Mm. grief or processing grief for a a family member, even though it was my mom. Um, But just feeling like by doing that and by showing up, there was, because again, who knows what several years later might crop up when you think you're doing okay with grief, but you don't know until as you're walking through it. Um, To that point, one of the other things I want to bring up that I feel is often a misconception about counseling is um, I can just hear people now because I've heard them before. I don't know if I want to do this because this person is going to sign me up for like 10 years and it's going to be some drawn out process where I'm on someone's couch getting all weird, dredging up stuff that I didn't even know existed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and all this stuff. And there's this kind of fear of that in the sense. So what in, in light of overcoming that fear and then deciding to step out and choose a counselor, what would you recommend as a process for doing that, of even making a connection with someone that you think Maybe it'll be short term, maybe a little bit longer, but what are some of the best questions to ask on the front end of that? Well, uh, here's my contract, Lisa. It's, uh, you know, 40 <laughs> sessions. And no, uh, I think that's really a legitimate, um, you know, thing in your shopping, if you want to say that, and you're finding the right fit. It is really important to have a setting that you feel comfortable with and taking um, an initial consultation. Uh, if it's provided um, to really say what you believe your goals might be and ask how this counselor works, you know, Focus on the Family has a Christian Counselors Referral Network at focusonthefamily.com slash findacounselor, mm-hmm. and uh, you can make inquiries there. But I, I think that really taking charge and some ownership in your process is really helpful to the counselor, um, actually. And um, feeling a sense of here, here's at least generally uh, where I want to head, and then what would be your process and your recommendations? What what's typical for you? You can ask the counselor. What even if you're doing some research? What what models or perspective do you come from in terms of integrating your faith and as well as uh, your clinical training and and approaches that you have um, from your training? And just see what you hear. You know, I, I think it's important to ask those questions up front. And then 
basically even say, you know, I, I believe I'd open to your recommendation, but I, I'm prepared for, and then say what you're prepared for, mm-hmm. weekly or or monthly or bi-monthly, and be open to recommendations, but also say where you are, and then broker, in a sense, have a back and forth with that counselor of where that could could land to be the most helpful. Hmm. So how would how would someone know... Maybe, Linda, you can answer this. How would someone know if they feel like something's a good fit? Because I feel like I've had friends who've gone and they were like, that was horrible. I don't even know what they were telling me. Or, I mean, I know even yeah. myself, like kind of ignorance about counseling. I was like, um, I was expecting them to give me a list of 10 things to do. Because what I want to do is do some stuff. And they mm-hmm. just kept asking me all these questions. And I was like, blazed away, which turns out to be a good thing in that sense. But so that was my ignorance. But what would you say, like, what's a good fit? And when should you give someone maybe give it another chance or give, you know, a, a few sessions before you you're like, that was terrible. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I always tell people when they come into my practice that you're the boss. You can fire me at any time. Mm-hmm. And it, what they realize in that moment is that I'm not like baiting them along. You need to come yeah. back, yeah. you know, and I need you to be a client. That That's not a person to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what I also find in terms of when clients are most successful is when they're honest and upfront mm-hmm. and willing to do the work, mm-hmm. which takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. anyone who walks in the door, to me, you know, since I used to be in higher ed, they have an A. <laughs> they walk in that door and they're starting on the best foot possible mm-hmm. because they're willing to at least take a look at it. Mm-hmm. When they stop being willing is when the the growth and the process kind of hits a dead end. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you can't keep working. Mm-hmm. If you're willing and open, yeah. but that takes somebody that you trust and you feel safe with and you can connect to. Okay. So it's interesting because I feel like on the, on the back end of this, um, or again, mostly because we're in a new year now, some people do the opposite of setting so many goals and wanting just like exponential growth by February. And it's like, okay, here's, I'm going to take the, you know, everything from the last 10 years, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and solve it all at once. How would you encourage people to set realistic expectations and then maybe choose a couple things to go after, even from a relative position of health? What does that look like, Glenn? Uh, I think your your idea of, you know, you, you pick a few. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may have ideas of quite a, quite a number of areas where you want to change, but you have to kind of hold your your goals loosely because mm-hmm. you may have uh, an idea of what you're going to work on and God may have a different idea for you. There's a different area maybe that he wants to, to work in your life. So holding it loosely, but prioritizing mm-hmm. what's going to be important for me. How will I know when change happens? Cause sometimes we want change, but we don't even know if it, if it, it's not, you know, hits us in the face. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what will that look like? Uh, and, and how can I move forward then from that? Yeah. And change is organic. It, you know, you Some people, like you were talking about, Lisa, you know, I want to do one, two, three, four, and then I achieve my goal. Mm -hmm. Yes, but most likely no, Mm -hmm. because you have to have some fluidity to what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And when you, you know, try one thing, then it shifts and changes and you work on the next. But it it's reevaluating where you're going and how you're going to get there, Mm -hmm. because there's more than one way Mm -hmm. to get there. And being open to that is so important. Yeah. Okay, so kind of as we wrap here, one thing I want to bring up too is this is where I feel like it's very easy for us to come to this conclusion, and that is um, signs that 
other people in our life need counseling. Mm. This is much easier to address than our own stuff. So I have my list of 25 people who I would like you to all call um, and suggest that they... No, just kidding. Um, But what is, especially as believers, a kind, respectful way of walking into something with someone in a way that shows that you love them, you care, but maybe is it ever appropriate to seed that conversation of have you talked to someone about this or how's a how's a way to do that and really even to check your own heart and your own motives in the process so we're not just collectively trying to fix everyone in our lives so you know well if the relationship <laughs> is has some strength to it if a mm-hmm. person that you know well uh who has trusted you in some ways and maybe a person who's come to you to say you know kind of fix me mm. um those are probably the best times to say, you know, I appreciate your your openness and you've shared a lot with me. Um, I'm not sure I can take you that next step, mm-hmm. um, but I would encourage you maybe to look at the possibility of counseling. So it just kind of is a natural flow in that regard mm-hmm. uh, if, it, if it happens that way. Yeah, it's so good that you say that just because there are so many probably listening who have done that, say, for example, in a dating relationship where it's like, well, let me help you. They almost become the person's counselor in an inappropriate way where Mm -hmm. they can't fill that role. So yeah, yeah, Jeremy. And I would say lead with yourself too. Mm -hmm. Don't call upon anything that maybe you haven't experienced or you're not willing to walk into and use, use your, your own self as a example saying, you know, when I reached a time like what I I see you reaching, here's how counseling helped me. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you take that step, I don't want to be your counselor, but I want to be your prayer partner, your cheerleader, and I would be glad to hear about what you're learning. Could I walk alongside you mm-hmm. um, if you make that step this year as your friend? Because there is a difference between being a friend and a listener and just listening to what somebody has gleaned and let them process what they're taking away from their counseling session that week versus, quote, being the counselor for them and with them. Mm-hmm. Well, such great ideas. And now as I'm sitting here thinking too, you know, some of you may be like, I'm still kind of confused. What are, you know, maybe I can start looking at some possibilities. Well, one, um, if you go to boundless.org and look up on our nav bar, click on the adulthood tab, and you're going to see there's a drop down there with a subcategory of personal growth. And this is where we have talked about everything at Boundless from mental illness to sexuality to dating with, um, you know, with either of those at play, um, just a lot of stuff, even even stuff, you know, personality and relationships and what all that looks like, how to show up and how to do conflict. And and so you can start there. Um, but also, I want to make sure that you all know that you can go to focusonthefamily.com slash get help, or you can call 1-800, the letter A and the word family. Again, 1-800-A-FAMILY to set up a free consultation with one of our counselors, including the ones at this table. And there uh, you will get maybe some encouragement, some suggestive resources, as well as possibly a referral to a counselor in your area. And so these are just great resources that we have here at Boundless and Focus on the Family for you. So as you head into the new year, know too that we want to root for you here at Boundless. Um, We are interested in personal growth and spiritual growth and all that that entails. So thanks again for listening. And thanks, you guys, for weighing in on this. Yeah, absolutely. 
This world is a thief Walking the streets Trying to steal my hope Steal my dreams Dressed up in disguise Whispering lies So sweet I don't want to go one more day Watching you take All the good things in this life The good Lord gave I'm taking Well, folks, we are here for this week's culture segment on The Boundless Show, and uh, someone that I have heard of a couple times from a couple different sources, and then all of a sudden, her latest book came across my desk. Her name is Debbie Laser, and uh, she is actually a co-founder of Faithful and True, which she founded alongside her husband, Mark, and serves as a licensed marriage and family therapist. Uh, she works with women in particular who have been betrayed sexually and counsels couples struggling with sexual addiction. And her book, though, which is going to tread into some of that and some of the ramifications of that, but we're talking about her book, From Trauma to Transformation, A Path to Healing and Growth. And so, Debbie, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm I'm really enjoying being here. And thank you, Lisa. Well, it's so good to meet you, even if uh, over the airwaves here. But uh, yes. <laughs> but sure. well, we want to dive right in because there's so much wisdom that you have professionally, as well as your own story and what you have walked through. And um, I do want to start out by saying, you know, a lot of your own passion for helping others really came out of um, learning about your late husband, Mark's sexual addiction. That was a journey that the two of you walked through. And of course, it ended up in, in being uh, faithful and true, being born out of that. But talk about kind of how in your marriage, like really tell us the story behind that and really what that meant for you in the early days and then for your own growth and healing beyond. Yes, for sure. Well, um, Mark and I had been married a um, little less than 15 years, and we had three small children. We were in our 30s, actually, which will tell you we got married pretty young. Um, and life was pretty good, I would say. And um, we had a lot of – Mark was working on graduate school, and we were traveling to several different colleges while he finished his program as in MDiv and also then his Ph.D. Um, so life was busy and stressful at times, and I thought it was – really pretty good. And um, then all of a sudden, one day he was brought home from his um, clinic that he worked at as a pastoral counselor by a Christian doctor and a Christian therapist. And they informed me of his infidelity and that they were going to fire him and that he was a sexual pervert. And did I have any other questions is basically what they asked me. So within about five minutes, my life had turned inside out and upside down. And I really wasn't sure who to believe. It didn't sound at all like the person I was married to. Um, I was really pretty angry at the language they were using and how they approached this with me. And I simply told them I had no questions and would they please leave. And so that left Mark and me sitting there together. He was obviously in a lot of despair. And um, he shared with me a story of another man that was part of that intervention who was a doctor at his clinic 
And he had come up to Mark and said, you know, I don't know that your problems with sexuality are that different than mine had been with alcohol when he was a recovering alcoholic. And he said, I'm committed to finding you help. And so it was true within three days, Mark had left for the inpatient treatment center here in the Minneapolis area that was founded by Dr. Patrick Carnes, um, the founder of the field of sexual addiction. And Mark had the really wonderful opportunity, I would say today at the time, I'm not sure I would call it all those things, but it was a wonderful opportunity to just be surrounded by a lot of people who were helping him understand deeper root causes for his behavior, older pain in his life, um, that led him to medicate in ways of sexual acting out. Um, Also, for me, it was a great opportunity to join him in what was called Family Week. And when I came for that week, I was also involved in counseling, working in groups alongside Mark, learning what that meant. I had never even been in counseling before, so I was really kind of scared out of my mind, to be honest. Hmm. Um, But what I found is that Mark and I began communicating in totally different ways about all kinds of really honest things that were going on in our lives. And um, it was a much deeper connection, I could tell, even in those weeks of managing something very traumatic. So short story, um, it led us to some wonderful counseling in our hometown when we got home. We we, uh, counseled with therapists who had been trained by Virginia Satir, also um, a very, very gifted therapist in the 30s through the 80s, uh, 1930s, that is, and 80s, and uh, has been known as one of the greatest family systems therapists of that decade. So we had some absolute amazing help and very quickly, and I think that led us to a lot of hope and a lot of change very fast as well. Um, If I fast forward through my life, uh, eventually all of that experience and just knowing how much I had changed as well as Mark had through this process, I was interested in going back to graduate school to earn my degree in counseling. And so when I did that, I ended up working on my thesis, which was about post-traumatic growth, as we call it in the clinical field. Post-traumatic growth simply means that um, you can experience something very traumatic and you can also experience great growth from that. And that was exactly what I had experienced in this journey of betrayal. I knew I had hit upon something that that created a lot of passion for me because I also knew that this was very biblical. And uh, one of my favorite scriptures about all of this traumatic growth was James 1, 2 through 4, about counting a joy when we have trials of many kind because it tests our faith and, and develops perseverance, which when we allow that to work in us, it leads us to be mature and complete, it says, not lacking anything. So I knew this spiritual journey was really the same one as a post-traumatic growth um, journey, and it just brought everything together for me in terms of how I continue to work with women as I counseled them. Sure. So that's a very, very short story of many years. (laughs) (laughs) That was. Well, that's a good overview for us, because I do want to dig into that a little bit more, because in the book, and again, we're talking about from trauma to transformation, you um, quote the work of a couple experts who talk about being transformed by trauma. And that's not... um, 
what most people think of when they think of trauma. They tend to think, well, I want to forget it. I want to run away from it. I want to bury it. And so um, what is it? what does it look like for someone to say, I'm going to have this kind of attitude as I go after even consider therapy, as I determine what that might look like. Um, maybe, you know, maybe help us understand what it looks like to actually lean into our experience with trauma so that we realize and actually believe that there can be healing on the other side. Mm-hmm. I think one of the easiest ways to think about that, Lisa, is just a a question or a statement we often make when things get really hard in our life is kind of why me? You know, we we get into a place of um, feeling really badly and we're trying to live a good life perhaps and all bad things are happening to us, whether they're huge adversities or smaller trials. Um, and it's really easy to kind of become a victim of that and why me and or, you know, who's to blame for that? And we can get into a blaming stance of other people. Um, and I think what happens then is that it doesn't give us the opportunity to look at, is there possibly anything I might grow um, in terms of my own character? If I looked at this and asked instead, what, Lord, would you have me learn in this? Mm-hmm. And so, um, that is a question that I, I really like to keep forefront in my mind when things become difficult, is that um, I, I have come to really trust in my own life now that I am the age I am these days and have gone through many, many difficult things and also have researched, um, read researches of, as you were saying, some very famous uh, uh, psychologists, Tadeshi and Calhoun, are the ones that named post-traumatic growth but they have seen through many, many of research projects that uh, there has been growth through all kinds of traumatic life events, such as natural disasters, um, loss of loved ones, sexual abuse, terminal illness, wartime exposures, and all those kinds of traumatic life events. And so they um, found through their research that it was really true that we we not only they they found that people not only grew individually and felt stronger coming out of something traumatic, but also their relationships were richer, their faith journey was richer. They had different um, expectations in life, and and they also had greater appreciation of life. So. Um, I found this as well in the research I did following my thesis in in my master's program, that those who had been sexually betrayed or relationally betrayed is the word I use because sometimes it's just emotional and it's not actually sexually um, betrayed, that even in any of those circumstances, there is the potential of a lot of growth when you have resources and people working alongside you. Yeah. It's interesting because you you mentioned in the book and in telling your own story and on that timeline how, you know, as you're telling your story, a lot of listeners might be like, oh, okay, well, that, you know, what what a journey, what a what a horrible thing to walk through and have to get growth out of that. And when it's so close to you and when it's spousal betrayal and whatnot. But fast forwarding, you actually walk through the scenario that it was only several years ago that Mark passed away of cancer, and you actually describe that in the book as the most traumatic experience in your life. Um, 
Now, what did it look like in terms of processing that trauma? Did you feel you already had some building blocks in that sense? Or was it an entirely different framework that you had to walk through in that sense? No, I think you are absolutely right. They were there were totally building blocks that came from earlier life experiences, and especially the sexual betrayal experience that was the one that led me into my own counseling and my own therapy groups and couples counseling and really learning all kinds of new things to talk about new ways of understanding my own emotions and what it meant to have self-care for myself. And, um, you know, I used so many of those tools that I had been taught and then eventually also used, and I do today as well, in my own counseling practice, that when Mark passed away, I felt like I had some very concrete, practical ways to begin this journey of walking through something that was so devastating. And to be honest, oftentimes when we're traumatized by something um, our first needs are, are very practical, and they look like, you know, how to take care of our bodies oftentimes, how to get the rest we need, how to try to eat a little bit healthier if it's at all possible, how to just be quiet if that's what we're needing, and when and where do we find safe people to talk to, how can we remove ourselves from some of our responsibilities so that we can take time for the emotions to move through our bodies that are there. If we choose to stuff all of those things or try to just forget it, you know, as quickly as possible, we end up with all of that stuff kind of stirring around inside of us. And what I've come to know is it really creates a lot of havoc on our physical health. And it also leaks out oftentimes onto others in in terms of our irritability or our anger that has not been processed. So there's so many practical steps to really working through trauma. And it's important, I think, while we hold the hope for anyone that growth could occur from something difficult, that we don't rush it so that they also don't have the idea that it's important to stop and figure out how to let the physical aspects and the emotional aspects of having great loss or great pain and hurt in our life dealt with. So there's that tricky balance, as I always say, between being patient with those who are on the front end of something traumatic and also carrying the hope that there there can be and often will be something very positive that could come out of that. Mm-hmm. I really like, uh, you do talk through some principles of self-care in the book, and I, I even like your illustration. You described a, a trip on the silver bullet train from England to Scotland and how yeah. afterwards you were yeah. like, what was the point of this? Everything went by so fast, I didn't even enjoy it. And that concept of, of slowing down and being purposeful, whether it's in life in general or in healing, is so important. And one other thing I want you to address, Debbie, because I really like this aspect too. Um, Explain to us what you call the concept of both and, and how you can have two statements joined together that allow a a truth to be declared that ultimately is not, uh, it's not as limiting as we might think an experience might make our situation be. Yes. You know, this whole concept of um, ampersand theology, as we call it, at our counseling center is is so relieving to most people because it it does teach us that the truth about just about anything we're looking at in life 
is is a both and. It, it combines maybe different feelings, different thoughts, different opinions about things that really, when they're put together, speak the whole truth about something. Um, I think we're we tend to be black and white people. Um, one thing is right, the other is wrong. Someone's good, someone's bad, um, and so to to move from that black and white concept to to embracing the and is very different. But even in this concept of post-traumatic growth, it tells us that we don't have to like the trauma that came to us and we can still appreciate how God might use that to grow us up in many different ways. Hmm. Um, so the ampersand is one I use throughout the book to, to kind of give my readers the idea of how that works. If If we use the word but a lot in sentences, it rather negates the first part of that sentence, and then only the second half becomes our truth. Um, so we practice those ampersand statements all the time in our clinic. And I think for women in particular that are coming to me with the trauma of betrayal in their life, it's, all, it's true that most of them really want to stay in their marriage and they love their husbands in many ways. And they're really angry about the infidelity and the behaviors that have come out. So mm-hmm. it's a both and also. And when they can embrace that, then they don't have to either acknowledge that he's all good and loving or he's all bad and evil. He's he's struggling with things, and both of those things can be true. Yeah. Let's um, talk a little bit about, because again, you're, you're mentioning the, the betrayal aspect of things. There are so many in our audience, many of our listeners who are still single, and maybe they're dating, maybe they've considered engagement, maybe they're, you know, maybe they haven't seen great examples in their own parents' marriages, so they're a little gun shy on on saying, could I really do marriage? And then they hear stories of betrayal, and they hear stories of sexual addiction, and they're like, oh, well, great, that's just an example of why I should never get married. But I would love for you, Debbie, mm-hmm. to give a little encouragement to listeners who who maybe want the courage to marry, want want to go in with a realistic expectation, but also a hope for marriage. Um, if you could talk a little bit about that, just a little encouragement for them, as well as, as you walk through so many stories through your clinic, um, kind of the, you know, it's very assumptive, I think, for a lot of people, whether it's with adultery or um, sexual sin and whatnot, that they go, okay, well, that's grounds for a biblical divorce, so that's my only option. But you're saying that people can choose to walk through restoration, just like you and Mark did. So what is the, tell the story of, of hope there and encouragement, both on the front end and the back end. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that, um been a long time since I was in my 20s and I was married at 21. Um, and I would say that, you know, we have in our culture so, so many um, expectations of marriage, I think, and in our movies and stories of how wonderful it will be. And once we're married, it will kind of be uh, all bliss. And I think what's true is that that is not a realistic expectation for marriage. And I don't know if, you know, younger folks today have better understanding from, you know, talking more about it. But I do believe that we would all be helped if we we knew that anything that's going to be wonderful is going to take some work. And it's also going to take stumbling through some things that are hard. And, and thus, I think the different approach to just because it's hard or we have 
difficult feelings about something doesn't mean that we can't learn how to talk about those things with someone so that we can still be brutally honest with one another and figure out um, what our needs are in that. I think for many of us, we, we just don't talk about a lot of things in marriage, and that's what I've experienced working with women and couples, even through all these betrayal issues, is when you go back to the beginning of their relationships, there were many things that became problematic that they just weren't able to talk about. So I, I think some of the practical things I talk about in my book are also just about being um, more emotionally um, well in your life so that no matter what is coming along, you have some skills to be able to identify what you're feeling, to be able to talk about what your beliefs are, and to establish some of the needs or desires you have. Those are all skills that will bring you closer in relationship to others because they're vulnerable parts of who you are. And we tend to, we tend to avoid um, sharing vulnerable parts of who we are, to be honest. Hmm. So I would just say that, um, you know, I think it would have helped me also to just know that, you know, when you have issues and when you have troubles start to arise in, in your marriage, which generally are going to happen even from the honeymoon, to be quite honest, I have hundreds of stories that start right there. Um, to know that there are people that you can reach out to and talk to about that, that there's nothing wrong with you when you have those kinds of problems. And if you, again, use resources and you find people who can help you with how to talk about those things with someone you're very close to, um, I think what you can learn is that you can move through that sort of thing and be more equipped to handle the next thing that's going to come up in your life so you actually become better at all of these things. You know, we, we were told by Jesus in, in the Bible, in John, I should say, that we would have troubles. We are all going to have troubles. And knowing how to approach those without determining that when we have them, then we've married the wrong person or we need to change the relationship and get out of it. Right. Well, that's why it's it's so great that you have penned this book, From Trauma to Transformation. Um, folks, we've been talking with uh, Debbie Laser, and again, talking about the, the clinic she has, the great work that she does through Faithful and True. Um, actually, we want to make a copy of her book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. And we are now in a new year. And so this is a great opportunity to just look at growth and what God may be wanting to do in your life right now. And so if you go over um, to uh, this week's show, you can find the book cover there and just go ahead and click on it. And you will see um, that you can give a gift to Boundless for any amount. And when you do that, we will send a copy of Debbie's book to you as a thank you for that. So uh, that is available to you. And Debbie, thank you so much for being part of this conversation. Yes, thank you for having me, Lisa.
as we finish out the show, we are opening up our inbox, and we always love it when one of our fantastic counselors can come and answer the question. And today, that is the case with Joni DeBrito. Hey, Joni. Hi. Great to have you here. Thanks for being willing to answer this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me here. Appreciate it. All right. This is a good one from one of our female listeners. Um, She says, I'm a woman in my late 30s, and I've been struggling with expanding my social circle and feeling alone since I was in high school. Since then, I was diagnosed with a form of schizophrenia, and I experienced verbal bullying by both peers and adults. After I graduated, I developed mental and physical issues and was hospitalized and am currently taking medication. I believe that my illness negatively affected the relationship with my brother, who used to make comments about me and my condition that were insensitive. Even before my hospitalization, my mother would try to intervene, but his comments still hurt my feelings. I'm dealing with the after effects of my condition and my current status. I feel my brother is still holding my shortcomings against me. I'd like to know how do I address this issue with him? Well, boy, let me first say that I really commend this young woman because it sounds like she's taken care of herself and done what she needed to do to address her condition, and that is huge. And some of your listeners may not know that schizophrenia is on a spectrum. So there are some who are mildly affected and some of them who, as we know, are severely affected. But many people with schizophrenia, with medication and behavioral and also with social interventions, can live very productive lives. And it sounds like this woman is probably one who is more in that category because she's already talking about things that she's done to help herself. So first, I'm really sorry that she experienced the bullying And she doesn't mention that she has had any counseling for that. So I think it would be helpful for her to get some counseling around the bullying uh, to talk about how it has affected her in her life before she attempts to talk to her brother. Um, And that counselor could basically assess her for her readiness to be able to have that discussion and then could also potentially be someone who could help facilitate that discussion. One of my biggest concerns for her, Lisa, is that it sounds like she is doing well and has been managing her schizophrenia. And I would be concerned that because we don't know how her brother might respond to her, he could respond in a verbally abusive way, and it could be re-traumatizing and re-victimizing for her, and it might set her back. So it'd be best to have a counselor or maybe another trusted adult there to help facilitate the conversation to help so they could observe what's going on um, and also so they could help move the conversation along and provide protection if he started to say things that were really unkind. But then on the other hand, if her brother were to show some sensitivity and desire to have a relationship with her, then it would help to have someone there to kind of guide the conversation toward that so they could really listen to one another. So my first suggestion would be work with a counselor around the bullying and see if that counselor can help facilitate that discussion. If for some reason this young woman doesn't feel as if um, it would be in her best interest or doesn't feel as if she needs to do that counseling, maybe she's already done it, she feels really ready, there are a couple things I would suggest. One would be to pre-schedule the discussion. So to contact the brother and say, hey, I want to talk with you about a couple things. So she's not just springing something on him. Secondary to that, I would say that it'd be helpful to choose a place that's private, 
uh, public rather, but semi-private. So maybe the corner of a restaurant or the corner of a coffee shop or something. So if there's anything that goes awry, she's got people around her and she's not, you know, not just all alone. The third thing would be to talk about how the brother's comments affected her, to stay away from blaming or saying, you did this or whatever. But when this happened, this is how I was affected. And then to turn around and also say, I'd love to hear how growing up with a a sister with those behaviors affected you so that there can be some connection there. And then if those things go well, to come up with one small step that they both agree on that could maybe move that relationship one step forward. So that might be hey, this has been really great getting together. Could we get together once a month and start talking more? Maybe something like that. And I really applaud this young woman for wanting to expand her social circle and also wanting to talk with her brother because that is something that is known to help people with schizophrenia actually improve and do very well. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I appreciate how you even brought in the idea of having that objective set of ears or that Mm -hmm. objective person in there, because we don't know from her question, if her brother is completely like disavowing that she even has schizophrenia, or if there are very real um, hurts that Mm -hmm. maybe he has because Mm -hmm. of her, like you said, you alluded to, Mm -hmm. um, that he hasn't brought up with her. And just we don't know where the tension lies. And so I think that's great, because both of them need to feel heard and validated Mm -hmm. in this if they can move forward. So um, yeah, I just appreciate that comprehensive approach to it. So um, hopefully that will go ahead and, and give her some good thoughts of, of helping her get along her uh, along the way on this and um, yeah, and move forward. So mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Johnny. You're welcome. All right, folks. Um, well, great thoughts again from one of our counselors here uh, at Focus on the Family. And again, if you want to write to us with a question that you might have, write to editor at boundless.org and we will try to answer your question in the future on the show. You can also go to boundless.org and search uh, topically for something that you may be struggling with or have a question on. And it could be that we've answered it in the past. And so check that out. Um, otherwise, do write to us and give us your feedback and your questions as well. Well, folks, that is it for this week's show. I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.